I'm Jason Ball, and this is Friends with Friends, the podcast where we explore all 236 episodes of the TV show Friends, one at a time. And this is a very special bonus episode with our friends Jackie and Vanessa. Hi, I'm Jackie Rodriguez, and I am the biggest Friends fan, and I'm so, so excited for today's episode. (laughs) And I'm Vanessa Martinez, the newbie who has never seen Friends until now, but is super excited for this episode. (laughs) So uh, we have a new friend joining us, uh, Marlo Thomas, who played Sandra Green, uh, Rachel Green's mom on the show. We just went through the uh, very first episode she was in, the one with the lesbian wedding, and please welcome uh, Marlo Thomas to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I haven't thought about that show in a long time when I did it. It was great fun, though. I really loved it. And I love those guys. They were Every one of them was just adorable to work with. <laughs> really were. What was it like joining the cast, you know, coming into this world and having all six of them there? I mean, how welcoming were they? You know, I, it's, it's, it's interesting, Jackie. It's always a kind of uncomfortable feeling to go into a show where they're always already a family. And I don't know which number that was. Uh, was that number, was it in the second year or the third year? It was already pretty well known that show. Yeah. And, um, and yet there's always a kind of uncomfortable feeling because, you know, it's like going to somebody's party where everybody's best <laughs> friends and you don't know anybody. Uh, and we went to the first table read and I read, you know, I read uh, Sandra and I looked over at, uh, at David and he put his thumbs up like, wow, he really liked what I did. Which I thought was, <laughs> you know, I mean, we didn't have to do that. Um, but I but I fit in uh, right away with their rhythms. And uh, Marta Kaufman and David Crane are just amazing writers. I mean, when you think that they had six stars to intertwine in like 23 minutes. It's pretty amazing that they did that every single week. You never felt that anybody was left out of the story. Um, so they were all very friendly. And it turns out that um, I had played Jennifer's father's sister. Her father <laughs> and I played sister and brother in a play that we did in Los Angeles called uh, Sunday in New York. <laughs> I, I forgot what the show what the play was about now, but I, I remember that he was a pilot and he had on one of those real snappy uniforms and he was a very good looking guy, tall, dark hair, uh, just a good looking Greek guy, John Aniston. Mm-hmm. And I played his sister. We kind of looked alike, you know, dark hair, dark eyes. So when I got the call uh, that they were interested in my playing Jen's mother, I thought, well, of course, you know, I played her father's sister. I obviously <laughs> look like I'm related to her. Uh, being Italian and Lebanese and being Greek, you know, we all look alike, kind of. And uh, and then I found out later that it was Jen who said, oh, yeah, let's get Marlo. Um, and she remembered uh, me uh, as somebody who had sent presents to the kids on their birthday and uh, and stuff like that. Of course, I, that I barely remembered uh, her brother, Johnny. Uh, she remembered that I had sent him a gift uh, for something. Uh, but anyway, I knew her mom, Nancy, and John before they were married. Uh, we had double dated uh, a couple of times and then we did the play together. So it was a very, very welcoming uh, uh, situation, unlike what I thought, oh dear, you know, uh, how am I going to 
all of a sudden, you know, be in this thing. And and also Jennifer was so cute. I um, we had this scene, and I forgot exactly which scene it was, but I had this idea uh, to go into the bathroom in that in that apartment. You know how the bathroom was sort of behind the kitchen, and I went in the, to the bathroom, and then I was going to come out of the bathroom. Is it? I guess I had heard something. I forgot what it was, but I went in. Uh, the way I was blocking it for myself, I went into the bathroom, then I turned around and came out of the bathroom. And the director said, I'd rather you not make that move. And Jen said, how dare you give her a direction? She's the queen of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's interesting that you felt unsure about going into that space when, I mean, you are a trailblazer in television and, a, you know, a, an icon on your own. And I'm sure they all were very honored to have you and, and to meet you and, and to be able to just to work with you must have been a great experience for them. Oh, thank you, Jason. No, I appreciate that. But, you know, you're not an icon to yourself. When you, <laughs> walk, when you walk into a place where you don't know anyone, uh, you don't, where, where everybody else, as I said, everybody at the party knows each other, you don't know anybody. There's that little awkward feeling of, of, of you're stepping into somebody else's pool. And, but they made it absolutely warm and inviting and as i said david gave me a thumbs up jen said she's the queen of comedy and at one point i remember i was going through a doorway and joey uh uh, uh not joey what's his uh, matt matt held the door and he went ladies first ladies first from free to be you and me so they couldn't have been more uh, more welcoming and, and more loving you mentioned that you were uh chosen for this and now, did the writer, did you have any say on how you wanted the character to be, or did you leave that completely up to the writers? It was written so well. You know, when I uh, read it, I might, I, I'm sure I had a, a note or two about something I could say. I'm sure I added something or whatever. But no, no, it was, it, it was not written for me. It was a written piece, and uh, they had a list of people that they you know, were thinking of. And Jen said, oh, let's get Marlowe's, is the way I heard it. And, um, and, and I, I loved it. And I remember when I was doing one of the scenes, one of the people on the crew yelled out, we were doing the blocking for the crew you know, on the last day. And um, one of the members of the crew yelled out, Marlowe, it's like you never left. That <laughs> <laughs> so was the whole... Um, a hospitable feeling that I got from everybody, the crew, the actors, everybody was, was very respectful and loving and welcoming. It was a, it was a lovely experience. I, I really enjoyed it. And it was what I found very fun uh, because when I did my television series, that girl, we shot with one camera. So we didn't, we didn't have an audience. It was fun because I loved to work on the stage. In fact, I started on the stage. And so it was fun to do it in front of an audience and we would do it twice. And if it did, if something didn't work, everybody would get in a huddle and say, okay, you say this. And you said, don't, don't say that one, but say this. So it was <laughs> like a little football team, you know, we'd huddle, huddle, huddle. And then we come out of our huddle and we do it again. And I so enjoyed that. That was so fun and so creative. So one of my favorite, well, my favorite line from this episode, the last episode was that when she, uh, when Sandra says to, to Rachel, I didn't marry my, you didn't marry your Barry, but I did. 
And that's an interesting character for you because it's kind of unlike you and out of your casting because you're this strong, independent woman. And, you know, and even in that girl when you were you know, young. And so how was it playing this woman who's just now kind of coming into her own and being her own independent woman a little little later? Yeah, well, it's interesting because her daughter was her role model. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the truth is she wanted to be Rachel. She wanted mm-hmm. to have Rachel's life which Rachel could feel and, and was uncomfortable with as, as it is. And, and, and I, I kind of uh, I really had empathy for Sandra because she was saying things like, so what's new in sex? And, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, and, and what's marijuana? You know, she was trying so hard to, to fit into a culture and a time that wasn't hers. And because she wanted to get out from marrying the wrong guy. Um, uh, it, it, I, I really had a lot of empathy for her. So it, it will, it, I mean, you know, every character is not who you are. I mean, I played a schizophrenic and I played a hooker, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I really liked that character. I thought she was, was very sweet. And, and, and Rachel had to deal with the fact that her mother was, was coming out of a shell and she was coming out of a shell to become Rachel, you know, so it was kind of, uh, and that, that happens a lot with mothers and daughters. Interesting. So you and your uh, husband of 40 years, Phil Donahue, just wrote a book about marriage. Speaking of marriage and uh, where Sandra married the wrong guy, but you married the right guy. <laughs> Luckily I did. Luckily I married Phil Donahue, who is a, just a treat to be with. Yeah. So the name of our book is what makes a marriage last. And we, we wrote it when we were celebrating our 39th anniversary. We started thinking, what should we do for our 40th? Should we go on a trip? Should we give a big party? And we said, we started talking about the fact that for all these years, people have been asking us, uh, you know, what, what, why is it that your marriage has lasted? What are some of the secrets? What are the tips to a secret, the secret sauce? And we've always said, we don't know. We have no idea. We're not experts. We love each other. We like each other. We have fun together, but we didn't know. And so it was actually my idea, and Phil wasn't for it at first. <laughs> I said, why don't we interview a lot of people like Alan Alden, Arlene Alden, people who have been married forever, and find out if there is a secret sauce. And he said, okay, but I won't talk about our marriage, which, of course, he does throughout the book. <laughs> 20 years, so I know better to argue. So I said, okay, that's fine. We don't have to, which I knew damn well we would. Uh, and so, so the book is a really, uh, it's, a, it's like a double date. We, we, we double dated with 40 couples from President Carter and Rosalind to Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone and John McEnroe and Patti Smythe, all kinds of Michael J. Fox, so many people. And it was really, it was interesting. It was fun. We made some new friends. Um, we interviewed them for like around three hours. Sometimes we stayed for dinner. We stayed so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was, uh, and it's all there. And, you know, the book was supposed to be 350 pages long, and it's over 600 pages because it was so, every story was so interesting that we, we couldn't figure out how to cut them. And when we turned it in, the publisher said, no, don't cut them. They're, they're great. So we didn't. And so you, it's really chock full of lots of wisdom and lots of laughs and some tears. Um, but, you know, you can't be married for 40 years, 50 years, 30 years, 20 years without some challenges. And 
they're all there, infidelity and jealousy. And Kira Cedric and Kevin Bacon lost all their savings to Bernie Madoff. I mean, just so many different challenges that people face. I thought it was interesting that you, before you met Phil, were kind of okay not getting married. You were had never been married before, uh, and he had been married, and uh, you were this, you know, kind of the original single girl. And um, well, you're putting, you- you're putting that very politely. I was militant against getting married. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Not only did I not want to get married, but I had some very pithy things to say about it, which uh, when my Gloria Steinem and Bella Abza gave me a bridal shower and they hung my sayings that I was so embarrassing uh, in the room. And one of them was marriage is like living with a jailer. You have to please. So you can see <laughs> that I wasn't about to get married. Uh, and another one was uh, marriage is like sticking a, a vacuum cleaner to your ear and sucking out all your talent and ambition. (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely not a candidate for marriage. No, I I never wanted to be married. But then I met Phil. We we dated for three years before I succumbed to it. (laughs) Well, we all know Phil is very charming, but he must have been very charming to uh, have convinced you otherwise. Well, he was a lot of things. He was charming and he was decent and kind and sexy uh, and loving and, and all the things that you need to have a good mate. And, he, and he's, he's remained that person. And I think his decency and his, his sweetness as a person, I remember when we first started going together, he said to me, I, I know one of the things you really like about me is that I'm a good dad because he had custody of his four boys. I said, yeah, I said, I'm very impressed with that. I said, but truthfully, the thing I like best about you is your sweetness. I said, my dad was, had a, a sweetness about him. And I find that so appealing in a man that he has the ability to be vulnerable and, and sweet. And I think you know what I mean by sweet, you know, just a loving, uh, kind way, not afraid to just say, you know, whatever is going on with him. So I really, uh, and that has remained, that, that's, that's a very important quality in a mate. Mm-hmm. But I find it interesting that you went from, you know, being this, as in your words, militant single person to <laughs> instant family. I mean, you moved in with Phil and four kids that are like in their teenage years. That's had to be a, a huge change that you never really saw for yourself. Well, I, I have to tell you the truth. It was just complete stupidity on my part. <laughs> what I was getting into, I was, as Phil calls it, in a cloud of lust. I had, no, uh, I thought, oh, isn't it cute that he has these four sons? I never thought they would be in my life until I died. Uh, I just didn't, uh, you know, I didn't understand the full responsibility of it until about a year in <laughs> and um and then it was too late to get out so there i was <laughs> but they, were, they were very good to me their parents had been divorced for about four or five years um they knew of me from free to be you and me and that girl so i wasn't a stranger and um and i think that they really they they missed having a woman in the house they were you know five guys four boys and a dad they didn't eat dinner together. The, the dinner was made and they all put it on their plate and went all over the house and 
watch TV or something. And I came in and said, wait a minute, don't, don't you have dinner time here? You know, so I turned it into a family, which Phil really loved. And, and he said, as he says in, our, in the book, in the forward of the book, he said, you know, for the first time we were a family and I got to know so much about my sons by sitting around a dining room table and having conversations. And so he really uh, loved that. And I, you know, and I was certainly, I mean, when you talk about it, you know, Jason, I was really uh, changing as a person. I mean, it was, you know, here I was a single woman in a big house in Beverly Hills with two dogs. And all of a sudden I had this house in Winnetka with four sons and a husband. So it was, uh, my, as my mom said, well, what a joke on you. And it was. It was a true joke. <laughs> so I, I am reading the book. I haven't finished it because, as you said, it's a, a little long. But um, <laughs> the, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter are two of my role models, and I, I love them dearly. And I thought their story was, was so super sweet. And, and uh, you know, what did you what was what were your thoughts of, of them? I really got a kick out of how feisty they were with each other. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they still bicker, you know. Uh, at one point, he said something. I don't remember what it was. And she said, oh, no, that's not the way it was. And I, let me tell it. He said, well, go ahead, but don't go on and on about it. And I just thought that was great. You know, that a very unguardedness, you know, the, the, the realness of them, that we all... Uh, suspected as we saw them from far away uh, as president and first lady and in their work with humanitarian uh, humanity homes whatever that's called and um there's a, there's just a, a groundedness about them and and so when they spoke that way in front of each other i'd love them for it because some people are very guarded you know i won't say who but pe <laughs> people that we interviewed it took like an hour before they became real. You know, it just there. There's a there's a certain guard we all have up if we're in the public eye and we've been interviewed a lot, uh, especially in print. I would way rather be interviewed uh, for television or radio because I can't be misunderstood. But when you're interviewed for print, you can so easily be misunderstood, misquoted, uh, and also have you know, like, for example, I'll say something uh, and next to it, the reporter will put, she insisted. Well, I didn't insist. I just said it, you know. So <laughs> she said defensively. Well, I wasn't defensive. I was explaining it. So you, uh, it, may, it, 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 it does, you know, you got a few bullet holes in your behind. So you're kind of careful when you're uh, talking in print. Uh, and so we found that. But uh, at first with some couples, but then they let go. And most of them, we were sort of surprised at how how candid they were, how much they told uh, about themselves or their drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever, infidelities and things. Uh, we were surprised. And I think it's because we opened up about our marriage. So they were willing to trust us. I, I honestly I didn't realize that John McEnroe and Patty Smythe were even married, but I I found their segment very interesting and in how she, I feel like she just kind of keeps him in check. <laughs> I don't know is that. I know. I, as I said in the book, they're like jazz musicians. They just keep playing off each other. They're very <laughs> funny together, and you can tell what a very good marriage that is. It's a really good marriage. Well, that's also the interesting thing, 
is that because these couples have all been married a long time, these are really solid marriages. As Phil mm -hmm. said, when we were coming off doing them all, he said, you know, the real common thread of these couples is they really wanted it to work. Mm -hmm. They made their marriages work. They didn't run for the, for the exit sign, no matter what happened, whether it was, you know, Chris Guest, who's married to Jamie Lee Curtis, realizes one day that he's married to a drug addict. I mean, you know, Phil said to him, well, did you think I'm going to get out of here? He said, no, no, I didn't. So they, they went through the fire together, all of them, whether it was loss of money, a sick child, a, an illness like Parkinson's from Michael J. Fox. Three years into their marriage, they, he got the diagnosis of a lifetime uh, illness. And uh, and they stuck it out together, and they have a terrific marriage. Um, it's sexy, it's warm, it's it's trusting. Uh, it was very inspiring, I must say. We, we felt that it really helped our marriage to uh, go on this journey because we learned a lot of things <laughs> about how to accommodate each other's differences because Phil and I are very, very different. And... Mm -hmm. We, 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 we saw, like, for example, Judith Viors, the wonderful children's writer, she said they've been married 60 years. She said no matter how long you're married and no matter how hard you try, he is never going to be you and you are never going to be him. So you just have to accommodate that and stop thinking you're going to change him because you're not. You're not going to change each other. You will, you know, maybe get him or her to stop doing some irritating thing like mm -hmm. leaving on the floor and that kind of stuff but big changes no who you marry is who you get that's it <laughs> I, I think that's it. really yeah. yeah i think yeah. that's really good advice my husband and i've been together for 24 years and Daddy, 24 years good yeah. for you Thank you. Um, and people ask us that all the time, and it is about uh, understanding and realize, and that that's hard to realize that the person's not like you. Right. Sometimes, because we just have this expectation that we all mm -hmm. think alike. But you're right. The just being committed to the relationship, and you know, being in love helps. <laughs> when you love someone, that that certainly helps. But just knowing that you're in it for the long haul, and never even really thinking about that, whatever comes your way. I call it the three L's, love, listening, and lust. Those three things. <laughs> Those are good. You got to listen. Awesome. You got to listen, yeah. And how do you learn to, you know, make the two, you said you and Phil were two different, are two different people. You like different things. How do you make that work together? Well, for example, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a very impulsive person. If there's a problem... I want to find a solution right now. I'm going to go to the phone in two minutes, call people, figure it out, come up with a solution. Phil is laid back. Wait, well, let's think it through. You know, let's think it through maybe for like a year. I don't know how long, but anyway, we're going to think it through. And, <laughs> and I have always found that very annoying and, and, and complained that he was a procrastinator. And he's always found my way very annoying, saying that I'm too compulsive. And so we've had to figure out a way to talk it through uh, as to what we do. And one of the things that was interesting is that working on the book, we have never worked together before. So we work together every single day, uh, having to negotiate what you do when you're working with someone. You're, 
every day is negotiations for whatever your opinion, his opinion, whatever. And we found that as we talked through all these issues on travel and meeting people and what, saying what we're going to say to them and all that, that we're, we're both right at different times. Sometimes it is a good idea to lay back. Uh, and sometimes it is a good, good idea to go for it. And so we, since we had so many issues every single day, it got to be less of a problem because we could, we had so many examples of it that we would say, he'd say, you know what, you're right, go for it. Or I'd say, you know what, let, let, let's wait till tomorrow on this one. But, uh, but that wouldn't have happened had we not worked together so closely. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it, and, and we've struggled with it all these years. I mean, it's, it's a, an interesting question that you ask because, you know, how do you get through those differences? And through the years, obviously it didn't ruin our marriage. Through the years, we've just had to grin and bear it. Finally, we figured out how to actually use it as a gift each person has. And that's been, uh, that, that's been a blessing, really. That's so amazing. So I'm a single girl myself. So it's nice to it's nice to be able to um, hear these stories about marriage and about what I should expect when I do find my love and when I do get married. So it's cool that you're able to put that out there and the vulnerability that you're doing. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you think about Ross and Rachel? Do you think, uh, 20 years later, they're still married. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. That one was so up and down and in and out uh, that I would not. I wouldn't put my chips on them. I would put my chips on Monica and uh, Chandler. Yeah, I, I think there's something the more solid there. You know, uh, I. I mean, it's characters, obviously. There's yeah. something. There's. They seem to once they got in the groove, they were together. Yeah. Uh, Rachel and, and Ross had so many stops and starts and misconceptions and misunderstandings. And mm -hmm. it just, it, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't put my chips on that one. <laughs> and then what would you suggest for like um, your character, Sandra and Dr. Green, like how can a couple go through divorce, still remain friends and be amicable after divorce? Like they have children together, even Ross and Carol, you know, so. Well, you know, some people do that very well. And uh, we know a, a, a group of um, several couples who've been married long enough that their children are older or there's grandchildren. And so the joy they get from the family uh, sort of supersedes mm -hmm. the, their other, you know, clouds of ups upset. You know who does that very well is Demi Moore and Bruce Willis. I mean, they spend Thanksgiving together. When she was with uh, their children, when she was married to Ashton Kutcher, he he went too for the Thanksgiving. And I know a lot of people like that. That at Thanksgiving and Christmas, the families all get together with their new spouses and new children and all that. I mean, it's it's quite civilized. I, I'm a, as an Italian Lebanese person, I don't think I have the temperament for that. I would be in such a state of jealousy that I don't think I could handle that. But, um, <laughs> I still love my husband, so maybe that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> do that, but uh, I, I, I think uh, it didn't feel to me uh, at the way she so Rach, um, Sandra so wanted to get away from her husband, you know, that he was the Barry, uh, that uh, that that would end up that way. 
because also she's a little immature. Sandra had a, has a lot of growing up to do. Um, she had one of those kind of bonsai tree lives, I always call those women, you know, where they're completely, um, what's the word, cramped down. They're stuck in a role that doesn't really define them. And when they get out, there's, there's sort of arrested development. You know, they're still mm -hmm. 21 or so, or maybe 18. So, so she had some growing up to do. She had to discover sex, marijuana, all these things that were <laughs> out of her realm and, 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 and grow up. So I don't know. She'd have to do a lot of growing up, and I don't know enough about what his issues were. Mm -hmm. But until she grew up, she wouldn't be able to have uh, an amicable uh, post-marriage. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. She's got a... I mean, you would want her to. You want her to have a, a good life and a, and a constructive life and a positive relationship, but you just worry that it's. You have to grow up first. You have to grow up to have those things. Yeah, that's great advice, though. You have to grow up to be, because being in a in a, a an adult relationship is very different than being in a relationship when you're, you know, a teenager. And you know, uh, Rob Reiner, who I absolutely adore. He and his wife, Michelle, have a terrific marriage. They've been married 30-some years. And he said, you really have to work your own side of the street first before you can be a good mate. You know, she's got to work her side of the street. You have to work your side of the street and then come together, you know, uh, more, you know more grown up, more in tune with who you are. Uh, uh, Peter Herman, who's a very bright guy, who's married to Mariska Hargitay, he said it, interestingly, he said, if you get married for the other person to make you happy, you will fail. He said, you'll just keep getting married to people hoping that person will make you happy. And that is not what will make you happy. Your happiness is in what you build together. The other person can't make you happy. You have to be in yourself a person that knows how to be happy within themselves. And then you can be with somebody else and, and have a life together. And what you build, whether you build uh, a family or you build a business, you build careers, you, you, know, you build houses, whatever you build, you build that together. And then that, 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 that's where the happiness is. But it's, it's not the other person making you happy. Nobody yeah. can do that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I've been married for two years and I, we were dating for nine years before we got married. And wow. we waited, people are like, why did you wait so long? And for us, it was, you know, we were still finishing high school. We were in college, enjoying our our own friends. I lived in college. He lived at college with his friends. And we wanted to have our careers in place before we decided to build, like buy our own house and do all of that stuff. Yeah, but that's wise of you because if you started in high school, you were very young. So that would be good for you that you went through college and everything. That's great. Thank you. And did you did you live together as well? No, we waited until we were married. So um, we wanted to buy our house, so that was one of our goals um, individually. And then when we realized, you know, okay, you know, let's go in for the long haul, we made sure that that was our priority. That's great. And, do, and were there a lot of surprises once you lived together? Oh, there still are. I mean, in these past <laughs> few years, figuring. You know, our differences, as you mentioned, how to work with those differences as 
uh, you mentioned with you and Phil, I am much more of an impulsive person and he is more of a procrastinator. He thinks it through. He's very calm. So it's learning how to balance that out for ourselves as well, figuring that out. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Re- re- really interesting. You, you're going to write your book, I hope. <laughs> and I'll be interviewing you and Phil. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Marlo, I did want to talk. I grew up outside Memphis and I worked in Memphis at a TV station in Memphis uh, back in the 90s. And St. Jude has been just such a part of our lives and part of everyday culture there in the, in the, in that Memphis mid South area. And it's a hospital that was started by your father. And I, I, I find it so fascinating that you know, this LA celebrity Hollywood guy started a hospital <clears throat> children in Memphis, Tennessee. So explain to people kind of how that happened. Well, first of all, my dad's from the Midwest. He's from Toledo, Ohio. So he's not really a Hollywood guy. Uh, <laughs> he's a, a Midwestern guy. My mom is from Detroit. My dad's from Toledo. And uh, I think that that w- was very good for the upbringing of my sister and brother and, and me because we you know, had a Midwest middle-class value system in the midst of all the grandeur of Hollywood, which was very, very good for us. And our parents had a stable marriage. But my dad grew up very poor and, uh, and he never went to a doctor. And kids in his neighborhood died of things like influenza and, and, and uh, pneumonia and, and appendicitis. Uh, and my grandmother had 10 babies without a doctor with just her sister in hot water. So my dad could see the difference right away as a child of the inequities of healthcare. that the rich kids went to the doctor and the poor kids died of things like influenza and appendicitis. So he always had it in his mind that he wanted to do something about that. Not that he knew he'd build a hospital, but he always knew about that inequity. And he read one time about a, a black boy, eight years old, who was hit by his, uh, by a He was on his bicycle and he was hit by a white man in a car and the white man picked him up. This was in Mississippi and went to all the emergency rooms and no emergency room would take this little black boy. So he died. And my father carried that clipping around in his, in his wallet for many, many, many years. And uh, he had told us about it and it really bothered him that a little boy would die uh, because an emergency room wouldn't take him. And, uh, and that white man had, you know, had stepped up to the plate to take care of the child. Anyway, when he got the idea to build the hospital, um, St. Louis and Boston, uh, the, uh, people from both of those cities very much wanted dad to bring St. Jude to those cities because both St. Louis and Boston have great medical centers. Uh, but he said, no, I'm putting it in the South. Uh, and that was because of that clipping. He decided he was going to put it in the South so every kid would have a chance. He said, there's already hospitals in Boston and St. Louis. There, there, there's not a great children's hospital in the South. And he picked Memphis for a whole bunch of reasons. One of them was that it's a, it's a hub of the country. That's why FedEx is there. It's a real hub. And he thought that would be a great place. Kids from New York and, and Los Angeles and, and Alabama and Arkansas and Louisiana and Pennsylvania, I mean, they come from everywhere, but it, but some of them, you know, poor kids are in are in in, in driving uh, distance of it, and so that was really important 
to my dad. Yeah, it's uh, it is amazing because they take anybody who, regardless of financial situation, so it's it is a great thing. And I find it fascinating that's uh, named after Saint Jude, the patron saint of hopeless cases. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, cancer in children in 1962, leukemia, for example, had a four percent survival rate in uh, 1962 and about 10 years ago we announced a 94 percent survival rate so it was pretty hopeless well thank you for you and your family yeah. for supporting that and all, all these years and, and continuing to do so no it's a privilege believe me all right well thank you for joining us today anything else we want to ask we got a last chance uh <laughs> oh, yeah. jackie I just so appreciate you being part of this. I mean, like doing this podcast and to be able to talk to people who are actually part of the show has been such like a blessing. So thank yeah. you for taking time and chatting with us and it talking about fun. marriage. I mean, yeah, I'm learning was, all those things. It was it was fun to remember it. It, it yeah. was a while back, but it was it was fun to think about it. There, there mm -hmm. uh, I always marveled at how well written that show was. That's, that's yeah. what, as 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 good as the chemistry was between the actors, it wouldn't have been successful had the writing not been so absolutely superlative. It really it's a hard thing to do. Very hard thing to weave six stories a week. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It was fun. Yes, and thank you. Good luck with it. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Best, Mara. best Bye. 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 Well, that was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Me too. Right. She was great. She was great. She's so open. I loved it. Yeah. What an icon. I'm oh, going yeah. to sit and finish her book and read it all and share it with my husband. So continue yes. on a long life of love, lust, and listening. Yes. <laughs> lust and listening. I love it. I just love she was so open and vulnerable about um about keeping it real with marriage. Because I mean, on Instagram and on um, like on social media, you see, I love my husband. I love my husband. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my partner. And you never hear like the real stuff, you know? And so it's nice that somebody has been married for that long. Cause she, she gets into it, you know, she's very open and honest and something for me to like, look forward to when I, whenever that happens for me. So well, I think she's right. Don't you, Vanessa? Yeah, I do. And a lot of the things too, she was saying is we got married through the Catholic church and we had to go to a marriage retreat over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And it, they made you talk about things that you wouldn't mm -hmm. really talk, like money, like different things like that. Mm -hmm. And you had to get real and you had to sit there and you had to talk and you had to write it out. Mm -hmm. And we learned a lot. And I think some of that today, we still carry it with us. So yeah. And I think Marlo did talk about other things. And I think that it's, it'll help people, you know, when they first get married or when they're married for 40, 50 years, however long mm -hmm. it is. I yeah. thought she had a great character analysis of Sandra too. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, that she wanted to be Rachel, you know, because she was, what did she call it, a Bodhi tree? Um, uh, yeah, a bonsai tree. Very, bonsai uh, tree, yeah. very pruned and small, yeah. Yeah. I love that, because a lot of, like, I feel like, you know, nowadays, for women like myself, like, you can find somebody else, you know, you can find somebody at a later age, you know, and her character, Sandra, found her very, you know, found her husband very early on. So it's interesting how she kind of more Sandra morphed into it, her analysis of Sandra being that person mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to find herself afterwards, you know? Yeah. But I, it made me realize how friends also made each family dynamic different. So Sandra mm -hmm. was the one who, you know, was looking 
to her daughter for direction. Uh, Monica and Ross's parents were the ones kind of hounding them, kind of, you know, telling Monica, hey, you need to do this, you need to get married mm -hmm. kind of thing. Then you have Phoebe's parents who were never there, her yeah. mom and dad, and Joey's parents, he came from a big Italian family, so he knows all about family. That's what he grew up with. Yeah. And then you have Chandler, whose mom, you know, is a promiscuous book writer. So they each, they made sure, I feel like, to bring in a different sense of, parents that one might have yeah different, different experiences yeah. yeah 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 it's cool it's cool do you think she uh, marlo was right about ross and rachel Ooh. <laughs> well i don't know because i haven't finished it yet so i can't really say <laughs> well, 20 years later do you think they're still well that's true you don't know enough about, about it, their relationship what do you think jackie well, I think, I think she makes a valid point because when we spoke, when I spoke to Ross, um, David Schwimmer, and he even said like the trait that, you know, he's most opposite of him is his indecisiveness. So how would that indecisiveness carry throughout 20 years of, you know, marriage, you know, if they're still together. So I think that that also is something, you know, and we see it throughout the series. Vanessa hasn't seen it yet, but we see it throughout the series of ups and downs. So, I mean, again, like I've mentioned in the podcast with like, you know, with the list and, you know, like them going back and forth, you know, is it really worth it? Or would you like, would you fight for it or would you not? You know, so what we've discussed, you know, I would be out, but, you know, they would be in. <laughs> so we'll see at the end. We'll have, the, we'll ask this question of ourselves again when we get to the episode 236. <laughs> episode 236 oh my gosh <laughs> and we can't really talk about monica and chandler we can't really talk about them because we haven't seen well that was a great episode yeah yeah that was so awesome i can't believe we keep talking to people from the show that's cool <laughs> i'm so happy <laughs> all right thanks for listening thanks everybody. follow us and subscribe on wherever you get your podcast Yes, and um, follow us on Friends with Friends podcast too. Thanks. Until next time.